0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing.
1: Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest, MC Lobsher. To talk about infinite baking. MC is a husband, dad, podcaster, and cash flow coach. As a cash flow investor and serial entrepreneur, MC's passion is to assist investors and business owners to create, recover, warehouse, and multiply cash flow through advanced strategies. MC is a member of the Forbes Finance Council and has shared his strategies on Forbes Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Grant Cardone TV, and Bigger Pockets. Welcome to the show, MC. Thank you
0: so much for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. I know we were just chatting a little bit before this, but I first heard you and you speak about this topic we're going to talk about, which is infinite banking. About eight months ago, back at a multifamily real estate summit. So I remember when I, when I first heard you speak and talk about the infinite banking concept, I was blown away. I was like, it, I, I was just blown away. Um, so I'm super excited to have you on we're gonna dive into infinite banking but before we do that why don't you give a little bit of background about yourself and how you got here yeah
0: so I'm, I'm originally from south africa so um i came to the united states in the uh well 2001 it's a long time ago two decades ago basically so um came to the united states uh traveling and playing sports um and while i was playing sports i had a love for history and economics um just because that's that was my major in, in, in at university, um, and uh, I always uh, I always love learning new things. Uh, I had a curious mind. I think that's always been me. Um, right. And my my mom actually gave me a book, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, from Robert Kiyosaki, to read. Um, uh, this was again right about that time in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. The book came out in nineteen ninety seven. And that completely changed the way that I look. I had a massive paradigm shift. And that's usually what happens. You know, that's how we make sense of the world is through models and frameworks. Right. Um, and we usually adopt the models and frameworks of those around us, of our parents. Um, they don't really ta- teach us any models and frameworks in schools. So it's just basically, you know, <laughs> le- learning to memorize stuff. But right. um, usually our, our models and our frameworks are, are huge. And that was a massive Uh, uh, change, because I saw a new one. Um, And then I kind of dove down the rabbit hole. I studied everything that I could about uh, wealth building, which leads you to the study of money and what money is. And then when you overlap the three different things of economics, of history, and of the history of money, you start to get a very clear picture of how the world actually works. And you start to develop a different model, which has been pretty powerful and has helped me a lot. Uh, in, in not only understanding and trying to make sense of the world around me, but navigate me as an investor and as a business owner. Um, a- anyway, so I kept on studying, um, found one book after the other. Obviously, the, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book from Robert T. Saki teaches a lot about cash flow. Right. Uh, that was the first lesson I took action, bought my first real estate property um, around about that time too paid all of the expenses that was, uh, uh involved with the, the investment property after I have tenants in there and I have money left over at the end of the month. And I'm like, this is amazing cash flow. How many times can I do this? Right. That was kind of like the first big aha moment as an investor for me. And then the second part was I reread that book actually every year. Um, and it's so true. There's a, there's a quote and I, and I book, butcher a lot of quotes, but essentially there's a quote that says when the, uh, when the when the student's ready the teacher appears right so yep. another lesson comes out of the book as i'm evolving on my on my journey uh one of the big lessons in my book was, uh, in that book was that i didn't see the first or the second time or even maybe the third time but essentially it was um looking at financial statements and actually seeing how money flows but realizing that there's a creditor and a debitor statement um and that what that insight for me was? Wait a second. So all these liabilities that's on my books is assets of the bank, right? I got to become a bank. Like, how do you <laughs> become a bank? And then I started looking into banks and the banking model, and that was like the second big aha was, you know, how do I become the bank? So from cash flow to becoming the bank, then you, um, then you see the tax game. So then taxes become a big thing, debt, obviously, if you're a real estate investor and a business owner and you're trying to scale right. and leveraging the game that's in front of us and and obviously how to leverage inflation. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the the, the big moments I had. And then, t- you know, today I have, a, I have a company called Cashflow Ninja. It started as a podcast. Um that's now a financial education company and, and and not just financial, but an education company because we actually pivoted a little bit and our mission is self-reliance through education. And we realized that there's, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that people need to know. It's right. not just about money like privacy, which is going to be one of the biggest uh, challenges that our people are going to have forward. So we're you know, we building content on privacy. We're also building on content on other things that will help them become more Self-reliant, and then I have a company called Producers Wealth, where we help people actually set up infinite banking policies, and we do that in over fifty states, um, completely virtual. Uh, I started that in two thousand and fifteen, and we were completely virtual, and people thought I was crazy. You were the so you were the uh,
1: the like, original. You were the trendsetter.
0: Yeah. So it, it's funny that how you see trends, and you 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 look at this, and you go, Ah, well, in ten years, we're probably not gonna. Uh, consult in person anymore we're just going to do it virtually because it's easier you don't have to travel it's more time efficient and and uh, the buying behaviors and habits of people have changed people want their problem solved now like in the old days someone will go play golf with you and maybe lunch and grab a couple of drinks and spend a whole day with you for you to solve (laughs) this problem as a salesperson or as a business owner now it's like man i I just want to get this problem solved Right. What's the quickest way to get it done? So the younger generations, especially, like they just, you know, you want to go from A to Z quickly uh, and get and, and get quick outcomes. You, there's not a whole kind of like, you know, uh, infinite cycle of it. But in, anyway, so that's
1: in a nutshell who I am and, and what I do today. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to kind of dive into the portion of the story you said when you said, you know. You you saw how the banks were making money, and you wish you could be the bank, and that's kind of part of the strategy, the infinite banking. So, can you describe and explain what that infinite banking strategy is on a high level, and we'll kind of dive in and, and really break it down?
0: Yeah. So essentially, it's um, you know, banking as uh, my mentor Nelson Nash used to say, uh, used to be done at the you and me level. So. We eventually had institutions involved that took over the banking function and now completely take, took, took over the banking function in everyone's lives. And what, what he meant was, you know, if you look at a, a, just a basic banking model, is that you would make deposits into a bank, right, on the front end of the biz, of a bank. And of course, if you're listening to the show five years from now, banks are going to change dramatically within right. the next 12 months um in the next five years who knows what they look like but where we are at a snapshot in time essentially the traditional banking model was you put in money into a bank because there's some benefit to it they pay you an interest today there's online banking you could do wire transfers bill pay all that kind of stuff right um and you so that's why people would put money on the bank but on the back end of a bank uh in their business model that's where the magic happens They actually create products on the back end of this business model. Um, And the the, the products are mortgages, student loans, auto loans, credit cards, which is a very, very profitable uh, uh, product that they create. But essentially on the back end, they lend money. So they take money in on the front end, then they leverage that money on the back end. To create products and lend it at a higher rate so if i put ten thousand dollars into a bank for example and let's just say very generously they pay me one percent they're going to pay me what uh about a, a hundred bucks on that right right um and on the back end let's just say they take that same ten thousand dollars and they lend it out and let's just say they get 10 percent on that um now they're making you know a thousand bucks on that so that's a nice spread for the most people would say nine percent right right but essentially, if you look at the math, the only money that the bank had in in that transaction was the hundred bucks that they t- paid you, because you gave them the ten grand. They right. took that and lend that out to someone. <laughs> they collected a thousand and then paid you a hundred. Right. Right. So that's the only money that they actually had in the transaction. And so, if you do that, then you look at the the profit for them is actually nine hundred percent. So. Um, we could multiply this if you look at fractional reserve banking, which gets a little bit technical of how the 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 entire monetary system works. Right. Uh, and at the banking level, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of inflation created because at retail banks, most of them uh, participate in fractional reserve banking, which means they don't have to keep that ten thousand dollars. They could actually lend out more than that, just keep right. a fraction a fraction of that on the reserves of what they actually take in. So um, there's a multiplier effect effect that to them. So by looking at that, you know there's there has to be a way for you to make deposits in your own sort of banking system or creating a system where you make deposits and you save and you warehouse cash, and then also be able to leverage that same cash through borrowing from quote unquote your own bank, um, and then investing in in assets uh, that pay you cash flow like the bank created those products. Uh, and then putting the money back into uh, that vehicle where, where you would warehouse that wealth. And we use a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy with a mutual insurance company, very specific. Um, and it's also very specifically structured to, to do that. It's a life insurance contract with living benefits. Most people think of life insurance as, as, as death insurance. Um, so, uh, but there's a lot of living benefits actually that they that life insurance contracts have and if structured right. properly like we do with the infinite banking policies it's very very powerful um it's the same strategies that the banks themselves use where they position their tier one capital which is very very interesting uh, fortune 500 and corporations uh, uh corporations and other corporations such as it's disney ge and so forth they all uh, position capital in these contracts uh, politicians and and so forth um, also do this. And then obviously it's a very, very powerful tool in family offices across the United States. And this is a family office is essentially a private wealth management firm for a specific family, like a Rockefeller family uh, that manages their wealth. So if you have a hundred million dollars and up, you get, to, you get to open up your own single private family <laughs> office in, right. in a lot of cases. So they utilize these strategies too. So um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a little bit different how insurance is sold to the majority of the public. Um, and, and that's why most people have probably heard, well, Dave Ramsey doesn't like whole life insurance or Susie Orman and so forth. But on the other hand, you have to ask yourself the question with everything, right? Well, real estate can be a great investment or a bad investment. You can buy real estate at retail, or you could buy it wholesale. Uh, Insurance is the same thing. Why are the most powerful families in the United States uh, and Canada and corporations and bank positioning capital in these vehicles? And why do some people say this is a terrible vehicle? Well, there's obviously a a, a disconnect there. There's two sides of it, as there is with, with, with every investment vehicle or every any every vehicle, because um, we look at this as a savings vehicle, but it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff.
1: Very cool. So in very simple terms, it's a specially structured life insurance policy. Um, like you said, it's not for the benefit of when you die, but it's actually for the benefit of when you're alive, right? So if you can kind of break down, I know that, you know, life insurance policies, the infinite banking model, it varies based on so many different factors on on a person, but can you kind of break down what it looks like in simple terms for for someone who's looking to use this strategy? Maybe a real estate investor, something along those lines. Yeah, it's
0: a um, it's a it's a it's a great question. So what it basically looks like is um, before I share that quickly, one more thing yeah. I just wanted to share is you know the same for real estate investors when you look at incorporating into something, what you're doing, your strategy, it has to be doing something for you, right? It has to right. solve a problem of what you're trying to accomplish. Cause there's many different things that you could put in a, in an overall wealth strategy, right? You could have gold and silver in there. Great inflation heads store of value has been money for centuries. That's why you have it. That's why it's in your portfolio, or right. that's why you have it as an investor. And if you uh, if you uh, if you position it properly through uh, uh, custodians, you could also borrow against it to buy real estate, that kind of stuff. Same with, uh, let's just say, the, the, the flavor of ice cream of the month, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, same thing. Right. Why, do, why do you have it? Well, it's essentially become a store of value now for not only individuals, but corporations, similar to gold, a little bit more liquid, uh, has utility value, and you can actually transfer large sums of money pretty quickly through the, the Bitcoin network. Right. So, there's a lot of different reasons why you would have that. And you could also borrow against Bitcoin through decentralized finance and buy real estate with Bitcoin. Um, so, why do you have a whole lot? Why would you set up a policy like that? Like, what problem does it solve? Right. right? Because um, I think we're marketed to so much as individuals to buy this product or that product or that product. It's like, no, right. wh- wh- why do I need it? Well, money has to reside somewhere. So for real estate investors, number one, you got to put your money somewhere. You know, I did a talk to one at, you know, the, uh, at the one place, uh, a meetup a long time ago to real estate investors. And I asked them, where do you put your money? Real estate. I said, man, I'm not going out for drinks with you afterwards because <laughs> you don't have any money to pay for it. Um, I'm going to have to pick up the tab. And they all started (laughs) laughing. And they said, well, what? No, what do you mean? I said, because you just said you put your money in real estate. That means you don't have any cash. Oh, okay. Well, where do you put your cash? So you can either keep it in a bank, which is one of the riskiest areas, especially right now to put it, or you could put it in a place that has shown with a track record of almost two centuries now. It's like 150 plus years. Mutual insurance companies have a, have a track record for being a great place to put money because they protect your capital um, and you can access it uh, pretty quickly uh, when needed. So it's, it's become a great place to, to warehouse cash. If you look at the lost financial crisis, if you look at depressions, market crashes, mutual insurance companies have been a pretty good place to park it. Um, so that's what you're solving here as a real estate investor. That's number one. Where do you, where do you keep massive amount of cash? I would not recommend it's in a bank that pays you zero. They're probably going to start charging you <laughs> uh, a, a certain amount of money every year now just to keep your money. That's where right. this is going. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, why would, and this is the secondary benefit also of the policy for real estate investors. So let's just say you build up a nice real estate portfolio your entire life. Let's just say you build up 30, 40 properties, cash flow. You're a cash flow ninja, fantastic. <laughs> and you don't have anything else; you just have your real estate. And I hear this over and over and over. And now, let's just say you found uh, the person of your dreams. You've got a spouse, you've got children, and so forth. Now you pass away. Okay. So what happens now? Now you have zero liquidity in that estate, and now the surviving spouse and your children which didn't build up that 30 or 40 portfolio properties right. now have to go and sell those properties at fire sale prices to pay for estate taxes or other taxes that's there if right. it's also not properly structured with the state if you don't have life insurance set up i'm assuming that there's no comprehensive estate planning done either in that in that right. arena and we've i've seen it i've seen it firsthand we're we've had children of of parents like that, where they had a ton of real estate, no liquidity, no life insurance. Now the dad passed away, the kids don't know what to do because they're not real estate investors. Right. And now they've got to sell off, now they have to sell off properties. So it provides liquidity for the estate. And that's why a lot of wealthy families have it in there uh, to transfer over uh, wealth to the next generation. So some of the things are so, okay, the specifics. So you, you set up this policy that, the money in there that you're going to put in there is guaranteed. It's growing tax-free in there. It's guaranteed to grow a certain amount per year or two. You get dividends, which is not guaranteed, but they get paid every single year. If you structure it with the right company, some of them have paid it since 1847. Wow. Every single year, not a bad track record. I always say, if you want to look at what people are going to do in the future, look at what they've done in the past. You know, Right. Um, so, um, And then the other thing is you can access the money tax-free through policy loans, just like a HELOC, basically, uh, in a a property. Uh, And then you could use that policy loan to invest and buy real estate. So how it works is you would fund a premium and usually 70%, I'm just saying very conservatively because there's different ages, genders, there's so many different things. (laughs) Um, We're all at different stages of our life, but let's just say you put money in the policy, usually around 70% of the premiums year one. Is going straight towards cash value. So you put in $10,000, there's 7,000 plus in cash value year one with the Dave Ramsey policy that he defines. You're not going to have any cash value, probably for the first three years. So within the first year already, you have over 70% of of it in there. And then you have the the, the life insurance piece. So let's just say in that example, the 3,000 pays for the life insurance, the 7,000 goes towards cash value. And then every single year you keep adding it and it keeps growing. So usually about five to seven years, let's just say seven years, there's going to be more money in that policy what you've put in with a death benefit, continuing to grow tax-free. You could borrow against it any time, like a HELOC and access 90% of that money that's available um, of the cash value and use that to invest in another real estate property. So you're going to borrow 5%, which is more or less what the, what the loan rate is right now, and then invest in a higher rate. The same ex- example of what the banks did. I fund my policy just as I make deposits into that bank, in that example. It's grown tax-free, predictable every year with a death benefit. And then on the other side, on the back end of my own banking system, I can access that create a, a create a, a loan at 5%, take that to buy a piece of real estate that gets me 10, 12, 15% uh, cash flow on cash um, and then I would take the cash flow and then pay down and pay back my policy loan. Uh, and what you essentially have done there is you're ma- you're making deposits into your bank. The money is growing there. you're creating, uh, this derivative on the back end lending again, uh, against borrowing against the, the cash value, investing in real estate, and then paying it back. And you get to benefit from this whole system because you own the, the banking system.
1: Right. Wow. So, so powerful that that structure. And when I, when I first heard it too, I had to listen to it a few times. So, um, it, it's, it's such a unique concept that isn't widely shared by too many people. At least I haven't heard it before this too many people, so I, I encourage listeners, go back, listen to the last few minutes um, and, and we'll give you some resources too. I know MC, you have a lot of resources online that, that really breaks it down further that we'll get into later, but um, su- super, super cool strategy. So I just kind of want to dive into a few pieces that you were mentioning. So first is, is the premium. I know the premium, it varies. There's a million variables that go into it, um, but in, in basic terms, how many years do you have to pay the premium? Um, yeah, I guess that, that's the first question. How many, how many years do you have to, to pay it every single year?
0: That's a great question. Um, this is as customizable as you, can, as you want to make it. That's why it's very, very confusing, by the way. That's why people, when you sometimes mention, you know, like I have a company in the life insurance space and people almost feel sorry for you because they're like, what life insurance? They don't understand how customizable this is. So five years, seven years, 10 years, 20 years, um, up until 100. Uh, there's many, many different uh, ways that you could structure it. So, you know, you have different uh, people at different stages of their life. If you're in your early 20s, it's a great time to start. I always wish I started sooner. You know, I started when I was um, in my late 20s. I wish I, I, wish I started sooner um, in, your early, in your 30s. In your 40s, in your 50s, and even in your 60s and 70s, we've got a lot of clients right now, in their 60s and 70s, because they just saw what, what happened last year. So last year, right. you know, the markets fell like 30, 40 percent um, in their retirement. We actually have people that retired that their their 401ks and their iras fell 40 uh, percent, and they had some real estate too. Now they might have tenants that are not paying them. Right. So, you know, speaking about diversification, right? So <laughs> um, these policies didn't bat an eyelid. So we actually had a couple uh, that was in their early seventies that retired and they called us. They're like, what do we do? We have these properties. Some of the tenants are not paying. We have a 401k that just got smacked uh, 40% down. And I said, well, it's a good thing you guys set up policies with us three years ago. Cause now you can draw from that money until right. the market comes back. Now, now that you know, you can move the money into cash. And you also have a a fund to sustain any issues with your properties. You know, because at that stage, it was in times of uncertainty. This is also another thing that this solves. Besides where you warehouse your cash, besides the liquidity for the estate, in times of crises, humans, you know, Tony Robbins talks about, you know, the different uh, needs human needs and the different levels of human needs right certainty is number one <laughs> why we humans like certainty you know we like to know if we're walking outside the cave that the cyber the cybertooth tiger is not going to destroy us right away right right so um you know certainty is good and in that time it it provided certainty for a lot of people in their overall plan so that's why you know Real estate investors, especially I'm one. So I can speak to that. The reason why you're a good real estate investor is because you're so focused and because you are tunnel vision. And that's what I had too. Right. And then I started realizing, man, there's other pieces here that if properly positioned, that's going to amplify what I do as a real estate investor. And that's actually going to help me in times of uncertainty in times of market downturns, because Yes, what happens in the financial markets affects real estate. We saw we saw it in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. And even if you're a real estate investor and you don't have any money in the stock market, um, which I don't, I know what happens there is going to come and blow over and affect the ability of my tenants to pay rent, which are right. all in the stock market, you know, and also the financing involved. Um, we talk about. Uh, a, a HELOC strategy, you know, a lot of real estate investors right now are moving money into these policies with us because they, you know, and these are experienced campaigners where they saw what happened during the last downturn where uh, HELOCs got pulled on. Right. In a crisis, what does a bank do when a bank's got a ton of defaults on their books? Right. They don't keep borrowing money. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, Um. so yeah, so that, that's what it's all, but yeah, you can, Five pay, seven pay, 10 pay, 15 pay. We, we look at an, a, a, a specific individual. Like if you're in your 20s, we're going to structure it so you could pay into it at 70. You could probably stop at 55, 60, whatever you want to do, but you're always going to need to put a, you're going to need to put a place to park your cash. The right. reason we structure it up to 70, by the way, is when people would say 70, I'm going to retire at 55. You know what's happening to a lot of our clients that are 55 and over? This is another interesting phase of life for the young, all of the young uh, guys and gals listening. You're gonna, there's gonna be windfalls because there's actually gonna be people that pass away in your family, and you may or may not inherit some money, right? If you're lucky, if you're a good boy and girl. Okay? <laughs> um, but so where are you gonna put those windfalls, right? So if you have policy with 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 the flexibility, of funding it, flexibility of how long you pay, and the flexibility on the back end to add some more money you'd be able to, to find a place for it in, in some of these policies.
1: Right. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. I'm curious. I have a few, few questions about what you've mentioned. So you mentioned that the policies through a mutual life insurance company, can you explain what that means and kind of what companies you deal with are, are the big players in the space?
0: It's a very, very important question. Uh, so a mutual insurance company is there's a difference between a mutual and a stock company. The stock company is listed on the, the stock exchange, and the owners of that company is the, the, the stockholders, the, the owners of the stock of the company. Right. So the company is managed um, on behalf of the stockholders. So what do stockholders want? They want the price of their stock to go up, right? right. So those companies are managed in a very, very different way. They ha- they're playing in the Wall Street casino, as I call it. So they have to do <laughs> quarterly announcements and earnings statements and all that stuff publicly. And there's a lot of pressure on that. So what do people do? They, they take on a lot more risk. Right. So uh, some, of, some of the folks in that space, everybody's heard of AIG, uh, the favorite one to pick on, but they're a prime example of a stock company. And how a stock company operates and the amount of risk that they would take on to generate more profits for their stockholders and get the stock price up. Uh, So that's the first thing a mutual insurance company is managed on behalf of the policy holders, which are the owners of the company. So if you have a whole life policy with a mutual insurance company, then you are a, then you are an owner in the company and you can only participate in the 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 profitability of the company through the dividend, right. which you which you get as a as a as a policyholder, so that's that's essentially the difference between the two mutual uh, 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 stock companies. I mentioned AIG, Lincoln Financial. There's a, there's a number of them. Uh, all you have to do is look uh, in any company with a ticker on their website. They're a stock company. They're listed somewhere on a on right. stock exchange. Um, And then there's mutual insurance companies, which if you look at the top mutual insurance companies uh, that are there, uh, I mean, the names that folks might know, uh, Penn Mutual, Mass Mutual, uh, New York Life, uh, Northwestern Mutual, there's a couple. And again, that's just the first step in this process. Right. And Guardian is another one, too. The first step in the process is finding a mutual insurance company. Then the second step of the process is you got to set it up with the right company. Then you have to structure it actually with someone that knows how to set up these policies. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is you have to set it up with one of those mutual insurance companies that can actually set up the policy that you want. So I've had folks run out by listening to a conversation like this to one of these mutual insurance companies that I know will not be able to set it up that way. And then I get angry emails saying, well, I went to this one and they, you know, they set me up this policy and it, it doesn't look anything the way that you explain it right. again, not all of them can, can structure it in a, in a specific way. So fine mutual insurance company, you're going to end up with, you know, the top, a couple of them. They're all great. If you've been around for all of them have been around since the mid 1800s, oh. you know, how I explain it to someone is name me some 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 companies on the New York Stock Exchange. It's been around for hundred years. Right. <laughs> You're gonna come up with a hand. <laughs> you know? It's funny how these people fight fight and argue about what's the who's the best mutual insurance company. And I'm right? Like, you gotta right. be kidding me. Um, so uh, they're all great, but you have to find the one that actually has the vehicle that fits into the strategy that you want to execute on. We write. Um, my company produces wealth. Write with, uh, writes with a couple of them. The reasons why we do it is there's different strategies for different people, and some of them require different vehicles. Not all whole life are is the same. They all have different whole life type of whole life products with little little um, features that are not that are not similar across the board. Right. So you have to be very careful with that. So I would say, yeah, you got to structure with the right company with the right Person and professional helping you with it, structure the policy correctly, and then you've got to continue to work with someone. Um, because Nelson Nash wrote the book *Becoming Your Own Banker*, coming your, and he said becoming, it's not become <laughs> it's your own bank, it's becoming your uh, your right. own banker. Um, and the reason he uh, wrote becoming was it because it was it was it was a process. So you got to work with someone. You got to figure out. Different cash flow strategies with the policy. The right. policy is just a policy. It's all the other things that you that you can basically do with it. The same with any of these other strategies. Uh, some of your li- uh, listeners that are um, that have heard of sophisticated cash flow strategies, they probably you know everybody's familiar with the HELOC, right? Right. Where essentially you're collateralizing the equity in uh, a property to use that money to go buy another property, or you can refi it. Right. Uh, they're all familiar with business business loans. You place for collateral the, the receipts of the business uh, and the assets of the business to get a loan. We had someone in our network that uh, got a loan for his business placing the receipts and the assets as collateral. And he used that money to buy the building from which he was operating it. Wow. So he used one asset to buy another asset. Right. You could do it with gold, silver, and artwork. Very cool strategy, uh, which I've, I, I've, I've used the gold and silver strategy. You can only borrow up to 50% of the value of your gold and silver holdings. Um, you could do it with crypto. Same thing now, decentralized uh, uh, decentralized finance. Buyer beware. Uh, you have to be, know what you're doing. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very <laughs> volatile. Uh, same with stocks. Um, asset-based lending is what they call it, where uh, there's a number of Wall Street banks and a number of banks that allow you to borrow against a stock portfolio. So you can essentially have a stock portfolio borrow against it and go buy real estate with it. Um, there's a lot of different ways. CDs, you could put, I don't know why you would do that, but <laughs> you could actually go and get a CD in a bank and borrow against the CD. You know, the, the same kind of collateral. And right. Then right? you're obviously, my favorite one is the life insurance one because it kind of puts, um, it combines a lot of the best features of all of those uh, and puts it puts it into, into one place. So right. that's great to know. And the reason why I share this is if, Number one, there might be some of your folks familiar with sophisticated cash flow strategies, knowing about all of these. So I wanted to mention that. And number two, if you're ever raising capital for real estate, have these conversations. There are people that have money in these places that they don't even know about and they don't know that they can leverage. Um, everybody always goes off to the IRAs. <laughs> right. Self-directed investor invest your money with me if you're if you a real estate investor uh, operator, but they never talk about any of these other things. And I was, I'm in a speech at a conference. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, so you're telling me that I could use the cash value in my whole life policy to buy real estate. And I said, yes, he goes, well, I have over a million dollars in cash value in my policy. And no one ever told me I could do this. (laughs) You know, his grandparents or someone set this up for him and he funded it and that kind of stuff. So there you go. Incredible. We just found that guy you know, a million bucks to go buy real
1: estate with. Incredible. That's, that's absolutely crazy. So that guy though, his, was his plan structured to optimize the, the, the cash value? Cause I know you mentioned before you have to work with the right company because, and is that, is that a knowledge gap? Is that the reason why you have to speak with the right individual? Because from my experience, yes. a lot of life insurance individuals might not even know about the strategy.
0: Yeah, it's very it's a it's a little bit of advanced planning too. So there's insurance that you know, there's insurance that's sold to the majority of the public a certain way. And that's why I refer to it. I think the easiest way to talk uh, it, it uh, about it is in in with relation to how you can buy real estate too, retail or wholesale. So retail is a lot of folks buy the Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman policies <laughs> today. Uh, where wholesaling. Um, is more of a very specifically structured policy to do certain things. Right. Majority of the time, and it's and it's not to it's not to jab uh, take a jab at the retail. The reason why the, the retail policies are sold is for death benefit protection. Right. That's why most people buy because that's the only reason uh, that they buy real, uh, uh, that they buy life insurance because that's what they know what re- life insurance does. Right. Right. The right. so most people within, and that's the simplest way for them. I want death benefit. You, you could buy term or let's just say whole life. They want it for their whole life. So they buy a whole life policy at retail. So it's not to, it's not to, right. uh, not to take a, a, a jab at that. Then there's another w- way to buy it. And the, the only reason why that is two different worlds is it's it's with uh, these are built with intention and the people that are buying these types of policies again like i've just mentioned to you they buy it because it solves problems where do i put my cash i don't want to keep you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in in the bank and you don't need that to start these policies by the way but i'm just saying from the problems that they that they solve uh, i have a ton of real estate what happens if I die? I have zero liquidity to pass on. Maybe I can build up a little bit of cash value in the policy so I can use it for more real estate and then I have a death benefit to, to, to pass on. Right. Um, and then what happens if I don't have reserve? Where do I put my reserves for my properties? You know, where do I, where do I put that? Um, what if, you know, the country's locked down basically again and I have tenants that can't, cannot pay rent? Right. What position is that going to put me in? You know, and real estate investors listening to this will know that you know, properties right. get damaged, people don't pay rent. That's part of the deal. It's uh, of <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it's just done with intention, and it's it's built to solve certain certain uh, problems.
1: Right. <clears throat> so this strategy, the infinite banking concept, who is it? Who is it right for, and who is it not right for? Who who would you advise look into the strategy, and who would you advise? that you know, maybe the strategy is not for them. If you can put away, I would say safely save about ten thousand
0: dollars in these policies per year, then it's a great place to park because it is an insurance vehicle. And you know, yes, you could set it up for less than that. You could set it up for five thousand. You could set it up for ten. You know, you could pay it monthly, quarterly, annually. You could do a lump sum. You could fund it that type of thing. But just as a general rule, I, if I could put, you know, if you could put away ten thousand then that would be a good, great place to start uh, because that's really going to uh, allow you to build a pretty good policy that's going to do what you want it to do. Um, and you're going to get results much quicker. Before that, you know, I always say to folks, before you get to that, just get set up properly with all the other things. So pay yourself first, start, increase your income, start putting away money. And then eventually when you're starting to put away, let's just say, you know, $10,000 a year or more. Now you're starting to look at it and
1: now it's going to start to make sense for you. Right. Very cool. Very cool. And I know that this concept, I mean, I, I could, I, I get so excited about it and I could talk about this for hours. Unfortunately, with the time constraint, um, we, 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 we can't, unfortunately. But is there any, any last thing you want to mention before we move on to the next section of our show? Take the principles. I have clients that had this
0: policy and because they had this policy, they started seeing things in their own business, which they took the exact same principles and they implemented and executed it in their, in their business. So even from the conversation today, even if you're not ready to start, start thinking like a bank, start thinking like how banks think and start using the banking framework of how they see the world. You know, I've got an amazing friend and client and, and partner uh, that he's a, a resort operator. And I mean, we saw that how much money resorts spend on equipment leasing to outside third parties, taking right. the banking principle. We then, he then raised funds to buy all of those equipment and so forth. Uh, and then leased them back to the property. Now it stays inside of his own banking mm. system because right. he started to view the world as a real estate investor and an operator through the eyes of a bank. And he's truly becoming his own bank. Uh, him, and, him and his wife, they're amazing. So that's what, that's what I would say. The big takeaway here is start thinking like the bank and eventually you'll start acting like the bank and then you'll become the bank.
1: Cool. Oh, oh, love it. Love it. So we're now going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four, where we ask all of our guests the same four questions. So, MC, number one, what's your number one habit for success? Inten- intention.
0: Uh, that's the number one thing. To, everything has to be done intentionally. Uh, and how you spend your time. You know, I account for every, every half an hour, what I do with my time, because that is the great equalizer with us all. And that's the difference between folks operating at the highest level and then just at the average people. And That's what I learned from folks operating there. And that's, I mean, I've seen a, that's been an amplifier in everything that I do is by intention and design, just don't go into the week, blindfolded. Your week has to be mapped out planned. You have to account for every, you know, every half an hour where you spend your time, how you spend your time and who you spend your time with and pick very carefully.
1: <laughs> very cool. Because very cool.
0: It, it's a, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's been a great multiplier for me.
1: Awesome. Yeah, great point there. So question number two, <clears throat> limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential. What is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life? It's so true because beliefs, we, we get
0: indoctrinated and conditioned with beliefs. And it's not right. our own beliefs. We don't make up our own beliefs. We we get it from the people around us, right? Right. So I grew up in a middle class family with a lot of scarcity in there. And then sometimes, you know, in times of uncertainty, I still, I mean, and this is something, by the way, that I say to a lot of folks, I see a lot of rainbows and unicorn stories out there. <laughs> I have talked to multi-multi-multi-millionaires, close to billionaires. These people battle it every day. Right. Um, it's not rainbows and unicorns where people walk around saying, oh, this amazing abundance this is awesome. You fight that demon every day. Right. Uh, and if you think that you don't have it, it's there because that's just how we are. Like, again, back to how we are wired as human beings. We're afraid of that saber-toothed tiger outside. Right. Uh, and we like certainty. So that's something that I battle and I battle it every day. So, um, you just knock that, knock it down every morning when you start, and then you head into head into the day. Uh, so you have to do it intentionally again, but you know, back to the first thing of intentionally right. knocking
1: down the things that hold you back. Cool. Awesome. 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 So question number three, MC, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know,
0: I, uh, <laughs> in five to 10 years, um, I'll still be doing what I'm doing. Cause I love what I do. Yeah. And that's why I do it. Um, you know, I am in a very, uh, how can I say I'm in a very, uh, I'm honored to be in a position that I can do that just to do right. what I want to do when I want to do it. And I love educating. I love sharing a lot. I love empowering folks. Um, because I see, um, You know, especially finances as a, as something as a, as a source of great pain for a lot of folks. And that's why we've, we've really, I mean, put over 700 episodes of our show out there. We've tried to help as many people as we can with ideas, and also now programs that we're, that we're rolling out um, of, of helping them and empowering them and just teaching what we did right? because there's, (laughs) it's, it's one thing to read books listen to shows and all that kind of stuff, but you also want, okay, now what next? Where do I start? How do right. I build this? What do I do tactically? How do I set this up? So I'll continue to do that five to 10 years. And you know, every year you try to grow as a, as a person uh, because the more you grow, everything else around you will grow. Your business sure. will grow. Your relationships will grow. Uh, your wealth will grow. So uh, never I never lose sight of that, that if I don't grow and learn, then nothing else will. Um, And the amount that you learn and the amount that you learn is the amount that everything else around you will grow. Otherwise it's just going to stay pretty much stagnant. So I'll continue to grow. I'll continue to expand. I'll never retire. I don't believe in that. That's also a myth um, (laughs) that uh, it's just, uh, you know, to retire is to expire. They say, (laughs) I don't want to expire. I want to continue to serve. I want to continue to produce value. Um, and I want to continue to share everything that we do and have some fun in the meantime.
1: Love it. So question number four, what is your favorite real estate business or personal development related book? So I mentioned Rich Dad Poor
0: Dad by Robert K. Uh, I'll mention Becoming a Banker by Nelson Nash. That's the book about infinite banking. But again, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to think of it on the insurance, uh, angle, just the book is fantastic reading because uh, it shows you a different model um, which changes your paradigm right uh, and then I would say on on money if you want to understand money and really be serious about this um, you have to read the creature creature of Jekyll uh, from Jekyll Island by G Edward Griffin we are literally seeing what he wrote about in the 90s in that book play out right now it's, it's a very thick book <laughs> it's about this <laughs> thing, but it reads really- very easy. Uh, I read that twice because I realized that if you want to, if you want to uh, have a go at this wealth building thing, you have to understand how money works, what money is, and what it's not. You have to understand what banking is and, and what it's not, how the banking system work, how the global financial system works, how right. it all ties together. And you have to understand the history of money economics, uh, and, uh, and, and, and the history of banking, uh, when you read that book, you'll understand how the world works. It'll diff- it will also will give you a different model and framework, which then will allow you to make better decision- decisions as an investor and as a, as a business owner. Cool. Can you say the name of the book one more time? The Creature from Jekyll Island by okay. G. Edward Griffin. Uh, it's a story about how the Federal Reserve was created. That's essentially what it leads with, but he goes into everything on the book, the history of money, he goes into the history of banking. Most people don't know that there were, there were other central banks in the United States before the Federal Reserve, and there were reasons why they went down. There's been a massive battle in the United States uh, <laughs> raging for centuries about money and, the, and, and who's, who's got the control over the money, and that right. was essentially one of the big, the big battles why the, uh, the Revolutionary War was started. Is the control of money and taxes so i mean everything comes 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 back to that so it'll help you understand you know how how it works um and also give you insight of what's happening right now you know one of the quotes in the book is bailout is the name of the game because the bank as in monopoly when the bank runs out of money they can just issue themselves money right and we're seeing that right now with stimulus after stimulus, there'll be more stimuluses after this, it's not going to stop. Um, so it's a very important book to read right now, because it tells you what happened. Uh, and and gives you insight of what could potentially happen.
1: Cool. Yeah, I, I think I've heard you actually mention that book. A while back when I first heard you speak, but I'm gonna, after we're done recording here, I'm going to order that book. Um, it Sounds super interesting. And I guess right now, no better time to Get, get at least caught up on, on what's going on with, with the system as a whole. So I appreciate you sharing that. And my yeah. last question for YMC is where can listeners get a hold of you?
0: Cashflowninja.com uh, is our website. Um, they can sign up there for uh, all of our wealth books and resources, tools, and much more. If you want to learn more about the banking system, I actually created a free video series. It's at yourownbankingsystem.com. So it's your own banking where we have six or seven videos that walks you through all of these and we go into depth about all these strategies.
1: Yeah, I just want to mention too. I went to that website you mentioned. What is it again? Your banking system.com. Your own banking system.com. Your own com. I went there, watched the videos, awesome stuff. Really breaks it down. So I really do encourage my listeners to go check that out. I've firsthand um, I've seen the content, so I content, so I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, MC, that's, that's a wrap. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing the infinite banking model. Um, super, super cool strategy. I highly recommend, again, my listeners look more into it. I'm even looking more into it for myself as I'm beginning my real estate career. Um, so thanks again, MC. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.